Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Galatians chapter 3. So, so far in Galatians chapter 3, Paul has called the Galatians foolish, right? That's how we started out chapter 3. They're foolish because they were, have been turning to a different gospel that we saw in chapter 1. He asked rhetorically if their spiritual life with God comes through works of the law or by hearing God's word with faith. And then he refers back to Abraham and the fact that Abraham was saved by grace through faith and not by works of the law. The law, Mosaic law, had not been given yet. And the law, in fact, brings curse, we heard last week, right? It brings judgment. No one is justified, made right with God through the law. But the blessing of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so today we'll continue hearing of Abraham and the promise of God. So let's pray and then we'll read our scripture. Father God, would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law? God, please give us understanding. May my preaching be filled with truth and may we hear from you. Help us to hear what you have for us today. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit within would apply what we hear to our lives. And that would be to your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have just a few verses today. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 15 and going through 18. Here's what we read. Paul, said, Paul writes, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so the first thing we see here is a promise given. The promise is given. Now what is this promise talking about? It's referring to the promise that the blessing of Abraham might come to all peoples. Way back in Genesis, right, when we hear of Abraham. Promise that the blessing of Abraham might come to all peoples. And what is that blessing? Well, look back up to verse 8. Verse 8 says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Galatians, uh, excuse me, the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And so the blessing of God comes through Abraham. Now, be careful there. Not directly in Abraham because of him. Right? He was just an ungodly sinner before God called him. But it comes through the same faith as Abraham. Right? The likeness of faith that Abraham had. Look back at verse 6. It says, Just as Abraham believed God, 
and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right? That's justification. That's being declared righteous by God and being right and acceptable to God. So Abraham believed God. That was his justification, right? And salvation is the same for us now. This is the blessing of God that comes through Christ, through the same faith as Abraham had. And so salvation comes in the same way. And in verse 7, it tells us that those of faith are sons of Abraham, right? We're sons of Abraham as we have the same faith as Abraham did. Now look back. I know we're going backwards a little bit. Look back at verse 13 and 14 of chapter 3. It says, we learn there that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why? So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come through faith. And so again and again, throughout Scripture, we see that salvation is by grace through faith. That's how it comes, right? This is the promise of God. This is how all peoples will be blessed through Abraham, through Christ, through the offspring. So God had made this promise to Abraham. He had covenanted with Abraham, right? He had made a covenant agreement. Okay, look back a little bit more. Chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, right? So this gospel, this good news through Christ, through faith, salvation through faith by, by grace is not from man. It's not man's gospel. It is from God. God has done it. He is the author and perfecter of it. He has done it. And so, so far in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul has been contrasting faith with works of the law, right? He's been making this contrast, this distinction between them, okay? Recall last week, verse 10 of chapter 3. What does relying on the works of the law bring? It brings curse, right? Guilt and condemnation, right? Punishment for sin. That's what works of the law, relying and trusting in and trusting yourself to works of the law, good works will bring. Right? Does it bring about justification? No, not at all. Right? Not at all. Remember Paul himself. Think of who Paul is. Think of his background. Right? He formally was ingrained in works of the law. That was his life. That was who he was. He was fully invested in that. Right? But Paul now here is laying out the argument that justification, the blessing of God, does not come through works of the law. That's not how it comes. But it comes through faith, the same faith as Abraham had, who just believed God, his word, and was justified before him. This is the covenantal promise that was given. All right. So now we come to verse 15. Uh, in today's passage, and Paul gives a human example, right? He gives a human example. I kind of did that with the, the kids already. Paul lays out this with this for the Galatians in a practical way uh, to help them understand what this promise to Abraham was all about, okay? So again, let's say there's a man-made covenant, right? One man makes an agreement with another, 
they ratify the agreement. Okay, the word ratify here is to, is to make official, right? It's to, to confirm it or to make it valid, to put it into place, right? And so you have done this if you, as you've purchased a house, right? You sign agreements, right? We'll exchange money for a house, right? Those kind of things. So there's various ways that could be ratified or confirmed, right? right? A handshake, um, a signature notarized document, right? But there's some sort of formal agreement that carries authority, for it to, to be put in place. That agreement, that co- uh, covenant is put in place. Now, if you did that, Paul says, once you have an agreement that's been made, it's been put in place, it's been confirmed, you wouldn't just annul it. Right? You wouldn't just throw it out. You wouldn't go back on that confirmed agreement that you had made. You would follow through on it. Right? And so not only that, but if you had the covenant ratified, you also would not add to it, right? You have an agreement. You can't just keep adding more stipulations to it. You wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't say, I know we agreed to this, but now I'm going to do this and that and the other thing, right? You have to stick to the agreement. It's going to be there. It's going to remain. You wouldn't say, I'm going to go back on one part of it, but I'll stick to another part of it, right? You have to follow through. That's the man-made agreement, the things that we have agreed on. So everyone knows that once you agree with another person and somehow an official confirmation has been put forward, it's in place and needs to be followed through on, right? It can't be just set aside, can't be added to or changed for no reason. That's verse 15, right? That's what Paul is arguing here. If you have this man-made covenant agreement, you don't just change it for no reason, right? You stick to it, okay? So this is the human example, and now Paul takes this example and he applies it to what's happening here, okay? He applies it. In verse 16, okay, the promises were made by God. They were ratified. They were put in place. If you want to see that, go back to Genesis, right? If you remember... uh, um, God had Abraham take the animals, split them in half, walk down. Okay, that was their covenant-making process at the time. Okay, so the covenant was made and put in place. But this covenant here in verse 16 that we're talking about is different than the one in verse 15 that was man-made. How was it different? God was involved, <laughs> right? God is involved in this one, Okay. And so the, the example in verse 15 is just an example of, of what's happening here. Now we have the true, the important, the ultimate covenant that God has put in place. Right? And notice what is said here in verse 16. Paul does not say the promises were made with Abraham. What does he say? They were made to Abraham. Right? This wasn't a man and man covenant made. This wasn't a man and God covenant made. This was a God made covenant. Right? Abraham had no part in deciding the terms of this covenant. Right? He didn't negotiate with God over the terms of it before they put it in place. God says, This is how it's going to be. This is the covenant I am making to you. Right? It wasn't made with him, it was made to him. So this is solely a God-made covenant. The promises are his, 
He owns them. He carries the weight of responsibility to follow through on it and to make sure that it happens, that it takes place, right? He carries that weight of responsibility with it. Abraham is just along for the ride, so to speak, right? He just continues his life, but God is the one holding on this covenant. He is the one who will carry it through. He implemented it without asking Abraham his thoughts, right? And so this is a God-made covenant. This is the difference between the man-made in verse 15 example that helps us to understand a little bit more, right? But God is God, right? He does not go back on his word. So we know that it will happen. And so we see here that the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, right? And Paul goes on to clarify that this offspring is singular. It is one The one is Christ. Now, that should give you pause, right? But what about us? Aren't we his offspring? Aren't we sons of Abraham, right? Yeah. So let's ask, how does that fit together? How does Jesus Christ fit here? What is the one offspring? What is Paul referring to? Well, I think there's probably three ways to see this. Number one, first, is that Jesus Christ was a descendant of Abraham, right? Flip back, keep your place in Galatians, flip over to Matthew chapter 1, very beginning of the New Testament. Chapter 1, we see Matthew chapter 1, we see that Jesus is a descendant, an offspring of Abraham. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jump down to verse 17. Okay, so from there on, 2 through 16, we we see all the lineage, right? And then verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. All right, so son after son, offspring after offspring, from Abraham we get to Jesus Christ. So that's one context. But the the other two are probably more important even. So the second way that Christ is the offspring is that Jesus is the Messiah, right? He is the anointed one of God. That's what the word Messiah means, right? Or Greek, or in the Greek, the, the word Christ, right? He is the anointed one. He is the one Messiah that the people of God were waiting for, for generation after generation. Right? The believers of the Old Testament knew that there would be one offspring in which all the promises of God would be fulfilled. They're waiting for that one. Right? Of course, this started, as you've heard, back in Genesis chapter 3, right? in the Garden of Eden, right? the promise of an offspring coming, the woman's offspring, right? It continued here in the offspring of Abraham throughout Genesis 12 uh, through 17 or so. And then it continued with King David, as we just saw in Matthew chapter 1, right? This one offspring who is coming, the Messiah who is coming, the promised one. And so God's plan was always for the one true Messiah to come and to redeem God's people and to save them from their sin, 
Right? This was always God's plan, that there would be this one. Salvation is through Christ alone. Right? In Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is one, one Savior only. All the promises of God find their unique fulfillment in this singular offspring who is Jesus Christ. So, the promise made to Abraham and to offspring, singular. Third way we see that is that all true believers are united as one with Christ. Right? All true believers are united as one with Christ. All who look to Jesus, all who entrust themselves to him, give themselves to Jesus, they are counted as one with him. We are united together with him. And so when Paul says, it's not given to offsprings plural, but to offspring, it doesn't mean that you and I aren't included. It just means that we are one with Christ. We are one with him. We're united with him. So the promises to this one offspring include all who are his. Right? We are one body in Christ. We are united. There's no division between Jesus the Messiah and his people. Right? We are one with him. Look ahead in chapter 3 to verse 28. Here's what we read. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So you are included in this promise to the one offspring, right? Through faith in Christ. Promise is not just for Abraham and his immediate biological offspring, right? But it's made to all through the Messiah, through this one Christ. All who are united to the offspring are sons of Abraham. And all who are sons of Abraham are included in this promise of great blessing. Next thing, it's important for us to see the promise is securely in place. It's secure. Look at verse 17. This is what I mean, Paul says. The law which came 430 years afterwards. So that's a rough estimate of time between Abraham and the Mosaic law. Okay? The law does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Right? So God has made the promise. He has uh, secured the, the covenant that he has made. And the law, which is added later, doesn't change that promise. Right? God's promise cannot be annulled or done away with just because he gives more commands, right? Just as the example of the man-made covenant cannot be annulled, it can't just be thrown out, the promise that God gives cannot be canceled, right? So understand, it's not that the promise all of a sudden is done because there's now law, there's commands, right? It's not that there's a new way of salvation, that now if you follow the law, I guess that's how it comes. No, no, no. The promise still stands, right? Salvation is not through the law. It's still through faith by the grace of God, 
the law that was added does not void the promise God made, the covenant promise that God made. In the same way, God's promise cannot be changed or added to. Right? Salvation through faith still stands. It's not now salvation through faith plus works of the law. Right? It's not salvation through faith plus trying to be good enough for God to accept you. Right? It's not faith plus. It's not God's promise plus whatever work you can garnish up for God. Right? The law cannot add to or subtract from God's promise of salvation through faith. That was never its intent. Now, next week, we'll learn why the law was added, why it was given, moving ahead in, Genesis, uh, in Galatians chapter 3. All right? But it cannot here undo God's promise. Right? That's not what it was for. Look at chapter 2, verse 21. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. But righteousness is not through the law. Jesus Christ did die for a purpose. And righteousness comes through faith in Christ Jesus, through this one promised offspring. The promise to Abraham is permanent, it is lasting and it is eternal. This is God's way of salvation. So as we come to verse 18, we read of inheritance. Right? Verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So this inheritance is this blessing of God that we're, we're hearing about. It is the justification by faith. It is the salvation through faith alone. And Paul says here, this is an either-or situation, right? You see that? It's an either-or. The blessing comes either through the law or it comes through the promise. It's one or the other. These are two mutually exclusive options, right? They're fundamentally different. They cannot be combined or mixed together. They are different things, right? And the Abrahamic promise looks to what God does, and the law looks to what man does. Which do you want to rely on for your salvation, right? Only one brings salvation. Which one is it? Verse 18 tells us God gave it by promise, right? God gave it by promise. It was a free gift that was given. You don't earn it. You don't strive for it. You don't try to follow enough rules to make it yours. God gave it as a free gift. Salvation has always been by grace through faith, right? When God made the promise of blessing to Abraham, what was Abraham's part in it? What was Abraham's part in it? Nothing. God just gave it, right? Guess what work you have to do to gain your salvation? Nothing. You can't do it. It's not yours. Salvation is yours through faith in Jesus. That's it, right? That's how 
you are saved. You are justified before God, not because of what you do, but because of what you believe and who you believe in. Right? The blessing of God is yours in the person of Jesus Christ, not through works of the law. So then let's finish up looking at some core concerns. So there are some specific things that Paul is addressing here with the Galatians in these few verses, and they are the same concerns, the same considerations for us today. Right? So what are they? First, here's the first concern. Is my salvation different than that of Abraham? Is it different? Does God's promise to Abraham still stand today? Right? Especially in light of the law now being given. Right? That was the concern for the Galatians. Right? Well, God gave the promise to Abraham, but now he gave commands to follow. So maybe the salvation now isn't through faith like it was for Abraham. Maybe now we have to work for it. That was their concern. Right? That's a concern for us today. Look at, back at chapter 3, starting verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness? Right? So did the means of salvation and the blessing of God change once the law was given? Or is the blessing of God still through faith as it was for Abraham? Right? Those are the critical questions that are being put forward here. And so Paul here lays before the Galatians that salvation is by grace through faith. Right? Salvation is by grace through faith. God saved Abraham through promise, not through law, not through his obedience, right? but through faith. The way of salvation was the same for the Galatians. right? Salvation by faith, by grace through faith. The salvation is the same for us today. Right? Salvation is by grace through faith. It has always been that way, and it always will be that way. Keep your spot in Galatians and turn ahead to Ephesians chapter 2. Next book over, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. There it is, right? By grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There it is, right? By grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not you working for it. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. God the Father has planned your salvation. Jesus Christ has done the work of your salvation. And the Holy Spirit has initiated your salvation. He's brought it about in your life by giving you faith and repentance. And God then holds on to your salvation forever, for all of eternity. It's all of God. So the question is, will you entrust yourself to God? Will you give yourself to Him? Will you surrender to Him? Will you believe what He has said in His Word? Will you lay aside your working and your striving for His acceptance? Will you simply come to Jesus in faith, believing in who He is and that He has done all the work that is necessary to save you? Will you believe him? Abraham believed God. 
It was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified simply by believing and trusting himself to what God has said. Will you do the same? So is our salvation different than Abraham's? No, it's still by faith, by God's grace. So second concern. Can I trust the promises of God? Can I trust the promises of God? That's a valid question for you, right? You should want to know the answer because your salvation depends on it. If you cannot trust God's word, if he is not true to his word, you have much to be worried about. You have much to doubt, right? Because your eternal well-being depends on it. If he isn't trustworthy, you have to figure out what salvation looks like on your own. Right? But here's what you need to know. God is faithful. Right? God is faithful. And I want to let God convince you of that by his own word. So I want to read through a number of verses really fast for you, going through his word. Okay? God is faithful. Listen to what he says. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good... His steadfast, excuse me, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 108, 4. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Psalm 117, verse 2. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Psalm 145, 13. The Lord is faithful in all his words. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, but the Lord is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith, confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Right? Our salvation, your salvation depends on the faithfulness of God. And he says, we see over and over and over in Scripture that God is faithful. He will hold on to his promises. He will be true to them. He is true to his word always and forever. That's our security That's the security we have in our salvation to know that it is true and right and good and will last forever and ever because God is faithful. Because God is faithful, you can trust him, right? If you don't know that God is faithful, you can't give yourself to him. You don't know what he's going to do with you. But if you know that God is faithful, you can give yourself to him. You can believe in him. You can entrust yourself to him. That's faith right? That's salvation by God's grace through faith. We believe in what he has said. So let me ask you this. What do you let veil God's promises to you? Right? When you look at his word and you see what is promised, what do you let blind you to those promises? What do you let in your mind that comes between you having this kind of faithfulness to just fully entrust yourself to him 
What do you let come in to block that? To say, well, maybe, maybe I can't do that. Maybe I can't quite trust all of God's promises. Maybe I can't take, take him at his word. Right? What are the temptations you have personally towards unbelief? Towards not believing that what God says is simply true and will happen. Could be ignorance towards God. Could be that you just don't know him well enough. Right? Get in his word. Read it. Learn it. Spend time with others in it. Get to know God more and more. The more you get to know God, the more you will know his faithfulness. Right? Some of you have been walking with Christ for decades. And you've been through all the garbage that this world can throw at you. And you know God's faithfulness through it all. You've been through hard times. You know that his promises hold fast. That he will not leave you and forsake you. Spend time with those people who have been through it. Right? Second thing, it could be just pride. You think you know better than God. I know what it says here, but I'm going to, I see it differently. It doesn't look right to me. Right? It could be pride. You think you know better than God. It could be the circumstances that come before you. You focus on the happenings of life and what's going around you and all the evil that is truly in this world. And you look at that and you focus on that more than what God has said in his word and the promises that he's given. That could be a, a blind or a hindrance to taking God at his word and believing his promises are true. Right? But here's the thing. God is faithful. He can be trusted. The promise given to Abraham that you don't have to work for your salvation in your acceptance before God, it will stand. You can rest on that. Right? You can hold on to that. And every promise of God's word will last. It is true from beginning to end without doubt because God is a faithful God who does not change, does not shift, change like shifting shadows. He is faithful. Hold on to the promises of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word this morning. Thank you for the faith of Abraham that's been shown to us. Thank you for your covenant, more importantly, your covenant made with Abraham, made to Abraham, and made to us through Christ. That as we come to Jesus Christ in faith, that we have salvation, we have the blessing of God, not because of anything we have done, but simply because of what Christ has done and your promise to us in Christ. Help us to receive this great gift of salvation by your grace through faith. Even for us who are believers, help us to entrust ourselves to you more and more, knowing that your word stands, that your promises hold true, that your promises will not be void and annulled, that your promises will not be changed and added to and manipulated. God, help us to have faith to believe these things and to live them out. Help us to entrust ourselves to you more and more, even in the difficult things of life that come our way. God, help us to rejoice greatly in this promise, this covenant that's made of the blessing to all peoples through Jesus Christ. 
the offspring. Help us to see that these blessings, this blessing of God is an eternal inheritance that is ours forever and ever and ever. Help us to look to that day. Help us to see you rightly and see ourselves rightly, to see the circumstances around us rightly, and help us to give ourselves to you and to love you more and more. God, be glorified in our lives.